Our scripture reading for this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And I heard the the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning, College Church. Glad to be coming to you today from uh, my native Boston. I tell you that in case any words that I speak are incomprehensible to you, uh, including Lord of the Harvest or uh, asking Jesus into your heart. (laughs) Worship and witness worldwide. The theme of this conference, and really of the whole fall when you're talking about worship, is to understand the priorities of our lives, that worship is the starting point, not just of our relationship with God, but also with our, with our mission in the world. And I'm going to take you to a very familiar passage, the one that was just read for us, arguably one of the most familiar passages at all mission festivals or conferences, the Isaiah 6-8 passage. Here I am, send me, or here am I, send me. But I want to look at it in context because I believe it gives us a sense of the priority of worship in our lives, that worship actually includes a vision upward that precedes our mission in the world, that a vision upward precedes what we do in the world. We need to have a vision of who God is before we have an understanding of what we must do in his world. But that vision for Isaiah continues inwardly, and I'd like to submit to you that worship prepares us to be his missionaries. The concept of both sinfulness and redemption in our own lives is God's preparation for us to be his agents in the world. And from that, we respond in worship with the vision outward, that hears God's call and says, here I am, send me. If you watch that video, and that's the second or third time I've seen it, 
it's very easy to feel quite overwhelmed, isn't it? To have these visions of millions of this and billions of that, people in abject poverty, people in suffering, Christian persecution, people working in situations that are dangerous to themselves and to their families. Uh, I, I was just recently in Nigeria, and in the middle belt of Nigeria, there's been a lot of Muslim Christian tensions. And in the class that I was part of, every student from Nigeria knows someone who's died for their faith. It's overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. Political tensions, wars, violence, economic downfall. I don't know how many of you keep an eye on your retirement accounts. I keep an eye on mine. I've decided that I'm going to be able to retire now at 96. (laughs) If I die at 92 and my wife reinvests the money. I mean, you know, it's a shaky time. I, I was actually on vacation earlier this summer and we were at a place that had some cable channels I don't usually get, so I was just thumbing around for it. It was a rainy day, and I was just looking around. And the first station was uh, uh, the Weather Channel. And it was telling me, basically, to get home to New England, where I live, because Hurricane Irene was coming. And they obviously overpredicted it, but it was still enough to make you nervous. I switched channels. I turned to some finance channel, and they were telling me about the downfall of European economies and our economy, and, you know, prepared to basically be broke. And I decided that was a little bit stressful, so I changed the channel again, and it was international news about things happening in in Libya or in Pakistan. And I said, that's really stressful. So I turned to a movie channel, and it was the movie 2012, which is, uh, (laughs) it's the movie about the Mayan prediction of the end of the world. And I tuned in just about the time that the whole world was exploding with volcanoes and the White House was being engulfed by a tidal wave. And I decided I should probably shut it off. It's easy, isn't it, though, to be so paralyzed by the overwhelming realities of our world that we sometimes just do nothing. We just want to say, just give me my own comfortable little life. As long as my city block is safe, I'm happy. But the vision of God for our lives is bigger than that. But as we worship, it provokes us, it propels us, it enables us to see a world through different eyes. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Isaiah's uh, book, chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to take you through Isaiah's upward, inward, and outward vision to remind us that worship precedes mission, prepares the missionary, provokes our mission in the world. Isaiah was in a crisis mode. You can read it in the first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died. Historians tell us that in the year that King Uzziah died, Israel would be in total upheaval. Uh, Uzziah had ruled Israel for some 52 years. He at the outset had been a faithful king, but later was unfaithful and would lead ultimately to the hardness of heart of his own people, which you can read about later in Isaiah chapter 6 in the prophecy concerning Isaiah's mission. In the year that King Uzziah died, One commentator says the glory of Israel began to dissipate. And a historian notes the fact that in the year King Uzziah died, Romulus was born, ultimately for the Romans who would ultimately come and overtake the people of Israel. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah's world was in turmoil. Everything was topsy-turvy. But the real crisis for Isaiah, the man of God, is actually in the next phrase. 
in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, you and I, we sing in 21st century Christianity through Jesus, I want to see you, I want to know you, I want to feel your presence. No Old Testament person would ever pray that. They, they, Moses was told by God, no one can see God and live. Uh, Samson's parents saw an angel. They say, we shall surely die, for we have seen the Lord. They didn't say, Lord, we want to see your face. They were basically saying, Lord, we don't want to see your face. Because to see you was to be consumed. Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, my own personal crisis, I saw the Lord, a spiritual crisis. But it's interesting, Isaiah lives. And he takes us on this journey to the vision of seeing who God is, a new understanding of who he is, and an understanding of his mission in the world. Worship, witness, worldwide. In a world of overwhelming change, Isaiah sees the Lord. And it's interesting, if you read it, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, parentheses, the throne of Israel is empty. In other words, we don't know what's going to happen to our nation or our world or our future. But in the year of the emptiness of Israel's throne, I saw the Lord, where? Seated on a throne. Why do you think we choose a passage for the theme of this weekend to be our God reigns? Declare among the nations, our God reigns. Our God is on the throne. Our God is basically the unchanging ruler of the ends of the earth. I live in Boston, and as you may or may not know, we just all commemorated the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Now, I don't know how the effect was here in the Midwest, but in Boston, it was deep. I mean, two of the planes took off from Logan. All of us knew someone who was on one of the planes. There was a lady from our church on the American Airlines jet. I mean, it was very personal and intimate to us. And I remember hearing Christians on 9-11 praying, you know, things like, you know, God, we need to tell you what happened. As if God was up in heaven saying, you know, oh, myself, how did that happen? I mean, the reality is our God reigns. And you have to wrestle with why God would allow 9-11. That's a whole different theological sermon. But don't think God is surprised by these things. God is at work working his history in our times, even when we don't understand it. God is sovereign, as our brother who led us in prayer reminded us. And what does Isaiah see when he sees God? He sees God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The holiness of God. God is untainted. He has no flaw or imperfections. He is spotless purity, true light, transcendent. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah maybe for a moment would have to take his eyes off his own nationalistic concerns and realize that the God he was worshiping is the God of the nations, not just the God of his people or his nation. When we are followers of Jesus Christ, our first citizenship is not USA or Canada or some other country. Our first citizenship is to the kingdom of heaven. Can I get an amen to that? You know, that we belong to his kingdom. 
And worship reminds us that our God is Lord of the nations, that every person you saw in that video is precious in the sight of our God. And therefore, God of the nations transforms us to see those people with different eyes. He sees God's glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. Contemplate that for a second. What is Isaiah seeing? Maybe he goes into some sort of gigantic, we would imagine like a sense around theater. And he's seeing, you know, maybe the waterfall exhibit. And there's Victoria Falls and Angel Falls, Niagara Falls. He moves over, there's the wildlife exhibit. And he's seeing a cheetah running or he's seeing the glory of 9,000 colorful species of birds. And then there's insects and there's plants and there's fish and flowers. And he's seeing the, the glory of God in terms of, uh, in terms of the mountains of the world. And he's seeing the glory of God in the crown of his creation, humankind. And maybe Isaiah is just flashing and he sees, you know, the beauty of a child being born or a young couple in love or a granddad bouncing his granddaughter on his knee. And Isaiah says, the whole earth is full of God's glory. Can I just give an exhortation to myself as well as to you? I'm pretty sure many of you live in hyper-busy lives. And in the hyper-busy life that we live, we sometimes ignore God's glory. We, stop to ref- we don't stop to reflect anymore, to smell the roses, if you will. Just a practical example, I live in Lexington, Mass., right along the historical trail, so a lot of buses will go by during this time of year. I'm not just looking at historical sites, but at foliage. In front of my house, I have this glorious maple tree that turns a brilliant color red to the point that buses will stop to take pictures of it. And they're taking pictures of it, and inevitably I'll come out and say, hey, come back in two weeks, you can have these leaves. You know? <laughs> because, because I'm so busy, when I see the leaves changing, all I think about is, oh man, I've got to make time to rake the yard. And I forget to appreciate God's glory, the glory of migratory birds, the glory of of the creation, to sit under the stars at night. It's a reminder of our own smallness, which is a great way to prepare ourselves for being God's agents in the world. Our God is a glorious creator. In verse 4, he experiences God's power. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Filled with smoke is an image of God's holiness in the Old Testament, or God's presence in the Old Testament. But the threshold shaking, it reminds me of the prophet Nahum. It says, in whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. Maybe you've never experienced it. I've only experienced it once. I was in California in October 1989 during the so-called Earthquake World Series. It was around 5.15 in the afternoon. I'm teaching outside of the San Francisco airport at a hotel seminar, and the room begins to shake. And I said, finally, Holy Ghost power is coming down. You know, and the, uh, and the thing, you know, things, t- tables are tipping over and stuff's happening, and I'm saying, glory. But the Californians aren't saying that, because I'm from New England. I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was maybe a train going underneath our building or something. And they're basically, earthquake, you know, and we had to go run out to the street. And there's a building next to us waving in the breeze and finally collapsing. 
people coming to us and talking about the highway in front of them flapping like a ribbon in the breeze and highways collapsing and bridges seizing and breaking. The glory of God's power, awesome majesty, terrifying majesty. It's arguably this idea of God's power is where we get the concept of being fearful before God, meaning the fear and reverence of the Lord. Because the one who snapped the world into being is asking us into his presence. Awesome. A vision upward. Now the question has to be asked, is this just some sort of Old Testament revelation that, uh, that Isaiah is seeing? John's gospel says no. We know from John's gospel that Isaiah is seeing Jesus. This is the only account where Isaiah has a direct encounter with God. And in John chapter 12, verse 41, John writes, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Brothers and sisters, we need to prioritize this upward vision in our own lives. Because an upward vision reminds us that as we go into the world as Christ's witnesses, God is the ultimate starting point. We join God on his mission. God is the one who's after all the people on earth to know him. God's the one who wants worshipers. God's the one who calls us into the process. But the starting point has to be who God is. If you start with the needs of the world, you'll be soon overwhelmed. If you start with your own opportunities, you'll just be exhausted. If you start with just the statistics, you won't even know where to dive in. The starting point is to bring yourself before Almighty God and say, Lord, I'm here to worship you. Lord of the harvest, Lord of the heavens, Lord of creation. And from your worship, you go out to declare God's glory to the nations. Whenever we introduce, uh, either at Gordon College or at my home church, Grace Chapel, we introduce short-term mission trips, inevitably someone will come up, either a, a, a young person or the parent of a young person or a parent going on a mission trip, and the first question out of their mouth is this, is it safe? Now that's a great question, isn't it? Is it safe? I was actually at a short-term missions conference not too long ago, and 30% of all the agencies displaying were insurance companies. What's wrong with that? The issue is, the starting point is not my safety. The starting point is God's glory. The starting point is the God, is the God of the ends of the earth. Why do you think in the Great Commissions, he would say, I am with you always to the end of the age? Why would he say, you know, all the power is going to be given to you. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? Because you don't need to let the fear dictate what you do in the world. And it's a fearful world, isn't it? I mean, I was just recently in Nigeria, and it's my 10th trip to Nigeria in 10 years. And uh, we drive this one highway from Lagos Airport up to this place where we teach in a city called Ibadan. It's a fairly dangerous highway, and every time I go, someone tells me a new story about all the things that happened there. Yeah, Christians are like that. You know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember the time the uh, 12 cars rolled over. I mean, they tell you these stories. I don't know why. To make you more afraid, I think. And so we're driving, we're driving, and in the middle of the night, we get a flat tire. And a flat tire on that highway is not good news because that's where you're going to get mugged, robbed, beaten, or whatever. 
And I remember praying, and I said, Lord, you know where we are. The God of the nations goes with you. He doesn't get off, you know, get out of your car at, at O'Hare and let you get on the plane alone. The starting point is who God is, not whether it's safe. If we think about safety, brothers and sisters, all those people pictured on that screen, they're never going to get missionaries. Because it's not safe, it's just right. It's the best place to be is in the center of God's will. But the center of God's will is not always safe. Ask Jesus. But God is the starting point. Even this past year, around uh, the early part of the year, there was a big brouhaha about a book that came out professing to give us the answers of uh, heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who has ever lived. And the book asks a lot of provocative questions, questions that maybe are worth wrestling with, some of them I don't think are. But the disagreement I have fundamentally with the book is that the starting point was whether the truth of this gospel was comfortable to me or whether I needed to modify it to make it more comfortable for me. The issue of biblical truth is not whether it's comfortable for me, It's very uncomfortable to think about millions, billions of lost people without Jesus. But the issue is not whether I'm comfortable about it. The issue is whether it's true. Because my starting point is the Lord of the nations, on the throne, holy, righteous creator. The upward vision, remembering who sends us out. That's the starting point. Worship precedes mission. A second reality, though, that you see in the Isaiah story comes in verse 5. The inward vision. And I'd like to say it this way. Worship prepares the missionary. And that means you and me. The preparation to be God's missionary in the world is prepared by this worship experience. Isaiah's vision turns inward. Isaiah sees God. And what's his response? Verse 5. Woe to me. Or woe is me. I've seen the Most High, the Lord God of hosts. If you study the Old Testament, you know that prophets, some of their most common words would be, thus says the Lord, or woe to you. Woe to you. And Isaiah is saying, woe to me. Eight times in the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has said to the Israelites, woe to you. If you don't change, woe to you. But now he's saying, woe to me. Why? Because he's seen the holiness of God. And Isaiah is shaken by the vision. Listen to it. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah is a prophet. The number one gift that he would use in the service of God was his own voice, his lips, if you will. And in the presence of the holiness of God, even the thing that he offers is corrupted by sin. It needs to be cleansed, as it will be in the passage. And it's just a a spirit of brokenness, a, a spirit of humility, a spirit that says, I'm not worthy. The preparation of all of us to go into the world is a reality. 
that we go out as broken people, redeemed, the next verse, but broken nonetheless. It gives us an understanding of the reality that the people we go to are hearing from another broken person, not someone who's pompously lording it over them. Servants to them, if you will. And he says, I am undone. He actually takes upon himself a degree of, of if you will, uh, just community guilt. Uh, someone would call it, uh, he takes on responsibility for the corruption, not just of his own sin, but of the sin in society. It's interesting in the economic situations that we're in, uh, people will oftentimes say, well, the, perp- the reason why our country is in the situation in it is just greed. Well, that's true. A lot of greed has motivated some of the problems we're in. But the first place to start is to realize I'm greedy. And if my money was in good shape, I probably wouldn't care. Lord, I'm a greedy person and I dwell amongst the people of greed. I take responsibility for the people I live with and work with. And it foreshadows the people to whom Isaiah will be called. Because until you realize you're going to fellow broken people, you'll just come with a haughty attitude. Here I am, Lord will come from a spirit of pride, not a spirit of brokenness. But the story doesn't end there. One of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand. And you know the story. His lips are cleansed. The holiness of God comes. And Isaiah in his brokenness can't save himself. But God Almighty comes, sends an angel, and he's cleansed. Your sins, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Broken, but healed. Isn't that the message of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ? And let me just say a word personally, and maybe it applies to you as well. I I was raised in a Christian household, a Christian family. I've heard that Jesus died for my sins since I was too young to understand it. And sometimes it's very easy to take salvation for granted to forget to pause when we close a prayer in Jesus' name, to remember that the reason why we can pray is because Jesus has made us worthy to come into the presence of God. Forgetting the fact that there's a glory of forgiveness, that that becomes our ultimate motive for sharing because I'm redeemed. I wasn't consumed in the presence of God like Isaiah expected to be. I'm redeemed. And if worship is not working in our lives, it's perhaps we're forgetting the fact of how awesome it is that we have a chance to be in God's presence. Because when you celebrate that, it changes everything. It's a reminder every day. I I was on a mission trip one time in in Ireland with a group of people from uh, Plymouth Brethren background. And and there was this one older gentleman there. I'm going to guess he was in his mid-70s. And every time he prayed, he thanked Jesus for his death on the cross, his resurrection, and the forgiveness of sins. This guy had been a Christian for more than 60 years. But I asked him about it. He says, I never want to forget my Savior. I never want to forget that I'm I'm healed and and forgiven. I don't want to take it for granted. It was a rebuke to me, but a reminder of the source of life. It's Jesus 
death, and resurrection that motivates us to want to be available to God. The great missionary to uh, India and or China to India and then ultimately mostly to Africa, C.T. Studd, said it this way, if Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, no sacrifice I make is too great. Perhaps Isaiah is coming through this experience where it's a death-to-self type experience. Because he thought in the presence of God he would be consumed, now he's not consumed and he's alive. And maybe he's, you know, died with Christ, as we would say in the New Testament, and now he's being raised up and he hears, he hears the third question or the third part of our passage, the outward calling. If the vision upward precedes our mission in worship, And the vision inward prepares us to go out as broken yet healed, humble servants. Then the vision outward provokes our mission. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah has seen the awesomeness of God, Lord of creation. He's heard, in a sense, those psalmist-type words declare his glory among the nations. He's now experienced not only his own brokenness, but the awesomeness of forgiveness. And then, in a general way, it's not just to Isaiah that the question is posed, but in the courtyard of God, he hears this question, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Elizabeth Elliot says it this way, The most overwhelming truth of the Scriptures is that the sovereign, almighty God of the universe should ordain my participation. That for whatever mysterious reason, the God of the nations who could declare his glory in every language in the sky has chosen to limit himself to work through broken, redeemed people like you and me. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. God, I'm so grateful that you didn't consume me. Here I am. Send me. I'm so overwhelmed by forgiveness. I'm so overwhelmed by the glory of who you are. Nothing else matters. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Now, I I don't know how you picture this interchange between God and the Most High. I've mostly thought of myself, uh, uh, thought to myself that it's probably, you know, Isaiah is before the Almighty God, very humble and kind of crouched down, and he hears a voice, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I've always envisioned it kind of be, you know, Isaiah kind of quietly putting up his, here I am. You know, kind of I'm shy, don't want to, you know, do it. Here I am. Send me. Then I was watching the first Shrek movie. All right, how many of you have seen the first Shrek movie? You remember this one, way back when? And Shrek is going on this great journey to rescue the princess or something. I forget what it was. And there's this very irritating donkey. Remember donkey? And donkey, Shrek says to everybody, who wants to go on this life-threatening journey with me? And nobody steps forward except donkey. And he's like bouncing off the wall, you know. Hey, Shrek, you know, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I think that's Isaiah. I think Isaiah is before God. I am so happy you didn't consume me. I am so delighted that I wasn't evaporated at the sight of Almighty God. I'm now forgiven. 
I, I've said woe to me. Now I realize that as a prophet, I'm just speaking out of my own brokenness, but healed. I'm forgiven and I'm ready to go. Here I am. Here I am. And if we understand the glory of God and the awesomeness of forgiveness, we will say the same thing. We're not going to say, you know, God, if I can fit you in, send me. You know, God, maybe for two weeks of the year, maybe send me, provided there's a few days at the beach at the end. It's, Lord, you know, who you are declares to me, I need to go and declare you to anybody who will listen. Here I am, Lord. Send me out this week. My wife works at a microbiology lab at a Boston hospital. And sometimes she walks in early on a Monday morning and just prays over the lab's uh, workstations. Here I am, Lord, send me to this disillusioned person from a Christian background, to this guy who's a Gujarati Hindu and is hearing the gospel for the first time here in the United States. Maybe you're involved, and I'm thrilled that you are, with refugee work here at at the church. You know, you come in, here I am, Lord, send me to someone who's maybe never heard it before. An an awareness that I'm 24-7 on mission. Why? Because the glorious God has forgiven my sins and now I have a message. I'm sent into the world. Here I am, Lord. Whether it's on the train in the morning or on the highway to work, as you're praying, going, going to work, here I am, Lord. A high school kid told me that on Monday mornings he walks into his high school and prays over every locker of his friends. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Choose a place to go where you can linger and talk with the cashier at the donut shop or something that might be from another country. I was traveling with my wife a few weeks ago and she said to me, you know, you've developed an irritating habit. I'm married 32 years, so I had to say, which one? (laughs) You know, and uh, (laughs) she said, anytime someone looks different or speaks with a little bit of an accent, you get talking with them about where they're from. And, and you know, I, I said, do you know why I do that? She goes, yeah, I do. It irritates me, but I think it's the right thing. She goes, I know because you're talking to somebody that maybe had never has had exposure to Jesus Christ. And you might be the first link in that chain. Here I am, Lord. Awaken me to the world right around me. In the last two weeks, I've met Iraqi Muslims, Somali Muslims. I've met Hindus. I was sitting on the airplane a couple of uh, years ago with a, a guy who was Sikh. He had the uh, big turban and the big beard. And I teach a class on world religions. I got talking with him about Sikhism. He said, you must come to my temple and speak. You know more about my religion than I do, you know? (laughs) But it's just a matter of being aware, awake of the fact that 24-7 you're on mission because you're a worshiper, because you've been prepared by turning upward. Preceding any mission in the world is the vision of who God is, the reality of who we are, both as sinners and as saved, and the reality of the mission that God's called us to. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I was raised in rather conservative Christian tradition. When we would sing songs in our worship services, you know, I lift up my hands in thy name, a few radicals would do maybe this, you know. I mean, I wasn't a hand-waving, you know, jumping type of, you know, what I call aerobic worshiper. And... Um, and I, I remember, though, in all of my travels around the world, I've noticed this. From, you know, Pentecostals to Plymouth Brethren, Anglicans to, uh, to Baptists, the worshipers around the world worship like this. 
because they're saying in worship, I'm responding. Because of what you've done, God, I'm open-handed. My life, my future, my resources, my skills, my abilities, here I am, Lord. I'm available. It's interesting. You never see anybody worshiping like this. You know, half to Jesus, I surrender. You don't, you don't see that. <laughs> you know, and you don't see this. Jesus, I give you everything except for the cottage on the lake. That's mine, mine, mine. You know, here I am, Lord. And that's why in worshipful response this morning, I'm going to ask you if you're comfortable as you sit to join me in prayer and just lift your hands up towards heaven. And make a worshipful recommitment that says, Lord, as a worshiper, I'm responding by saying, here I am. All of me, send me. Let's pray. Because of your great love, Lord, and because of your awesome rule over the nations, we respond with humility, with gratitude, with an extreme excitement that you've not only rescued us, but commissioned us. Wherever we live, Lord, and to wherever you're going to send us, we sit, we stand open-handed as worshipers because of what you've done and who you are. Here we are, Lord. Send us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.